Have you ever considered how many things you believe in that you cannot see? I want you to try to think of some of the things that you believe in, maybe that you take for granted, that are not visible to the eye. The first one that comes to mind, which is kind of important, is oxygen. How many of you believe in oxygen? Okay, let's say maybe I don't want to believe in oxygen. I've never seen it, so I am an I, I'm trying to think of how I could put, put this, an oxygenist. That's atheist of oxygen, in case you didn't know. Okay, not a theist, but an oxygenist. I'm sure that's a word somewhere. If not, I just made it up. Uh, or maybe you're just agnostic about oxygen. You've never seen it. But the truth is, it surrounds us and gives us life. Just as God surrounds us and gives us life. But there are many other things that we cannot see that are a vital part of our life every day. Did any of them come to mind? Gravity. Great one. I've seen the results of gravity. It's called wrinkles <laughs> and other things like overlap of my belt. Um, what's something else? Mathematics. Mathematics. I can't see, and even when I can see it, I don't understand it. But that's a good one. <laughs> what, what else is there? Love. Wow, how many of you believe in love? You better say yes. Thank you. <laughs> That's good. How about the wind? We can see its result, but we don't see it. Electricity. That's a good one. Yeah. Can't see it until you put your finger in the socket. <laughs> then you see the results. I'm speaking to you um, through a transmitter that is wirelessly sending sound waves from a transmitter to a receiver. And in fact, in this very room, we are surrounded by all kinds of signals, radio waves, television waves, microwaves, x-rays, all kinds of things that are all around us that we never see. And if you were to, to tell someone um, who hasn't had the experiences that we have about some of those things, chances are they might think you're a little bit crazy because they've never seen even the evidence that such things exist. The same thing is true about God. God is spirit. Therefore, he is not visible to the eyes, but that does not make him in any way less real. Just of all those other things that we experience on a daily basis that are part of our life, in the case of oxygen, they're part of our survival that we cannot see. We started a, a series called B, and today we're looking at a second part of believing. And my premise is this, that you and I will never become more than we believe. We are destined, called to become like Jesus Christ. We have been created in his image, and Jesus came to restore that image and that relationship with God to us, and he wants to make us like him. He's provided his Holy Spirit, he's provided the word, he's provided the church, he's provided all kinds of gifts and resources to transform us, but they are done and affected by faith. Hebrews 11 verses 1 through 3 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Sound is something you can't see either, by the way, but we know it's real. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, faith operates in three different dimensions. It operates first based upon our confidence in the past as recorded in Scripture. We read about what God has done. We believe it or we choose not to. But if we believe it, it strengthens our faith because we see the track record of God. Secondly, faith operates in the present invisible spiritual world which exists around us right now. And it is governed by God and it is revealed to a degree in the scripture. Just like the passage of scripture that Rendy read for us in 2 Kings If we could pull back the veil that blinds us from seeing the spiritual realm, we would realize that the spiritual world is just as big, just as dynamic, just as interactive in our lives as the physical world. But it is not something we see with our eyes. It is something we experience by faith. The third dimension is of faith is focused on the future as promised in the scriptures by God. He gives us his great and precious promises of who he is and what he will do. And in that, there are two sides of that. We have the great hope because for those who have trusted Christ as Savior, but we also have the great dread for those who have not because Christ is also judge. And the day of judgment will come. So we understand that faith somehow operates out of a sight unseen because God is unseen. In fact, listen to what the scripture says. This is a description of God in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. God is invisible. And if he is to show himself, he is in an uh, unimaginable light and brightness. That's why you see in the scripture, when his messengers, the angels, appear, oftentimes what accompanies that is a bright and blinding light because it is peeling back the physical curtain to see into the spiritual realm that God, what does the scripture say? He is light. He is brilliant. And more than what we could ever approach or understand because of its power. John, in John chapter four, Jesus says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
God is not visible unless he chooses to reveal himself, for God has no physical matter from which the light can reflect and enter our eyes. God can reveal himself in unapproachable light if he so chooses, but he is spirit, meaning that he cannot be seen with the human eye in the normal way. And he is the very center of the invisible spiritual realm. So faith ultimately, is living based upon a sight unseen. That doesn't mean that there isn't evidence, just as we have evidence for the things that we mentioned that you cannot see. We have evidence for oxygen. We have evidence for electricity. We have evidence for sound waves, for radio broadcasts and signals that go right through our very bodies. We have evidence that those things exist Likewise, we have evidence of God. He has demonstrated himself in what he has made, what he has created. He has demonstrated himself in the lives of his followers. He has demonstrated, I can't say that word. He's shown himself in history. Just give it up at some point, Drew. Here's, here's what Matthew Henry said. A great quote. Faith demonstrates to the eyes of the mind the reality of those things which cannot be discerned by the eye of the body. There is a reality all around us that if we choose to say, Lord, show me more of yourself, help me to see, open my eyes, even as you open the eyes of the servant of Elisha, I want to see more of who you are whether I see it in a physical way, the way he saw that army that was there with him of angels, or whether it's simply speaking into my heart with the assurance and confidence of your spirit and the promise and power of your word, show me who you are. That's what faith does. And when we pursue him, when we pursue the one who is unseen, God transforms us especially when we pursue and desire to see the glory of God himself. There's a great reformer by the name of John Owen, and I'm going to paraphrase what he has written about this because it's in Old English, and so it's, it's a little hard to understand. So these are his thoughts, but my words. No one will ever behold the glory of Christ by sight in heaven who does not in some measure see it by faith here in this world. Most men will say with confidence that in living and dying they desire to be with Christ and to see his glory, but they can give no real reason for why they should desire such a thing, only that they think it's somewhat better than to remain in the evil condition they are in now and will be completely submerged in after death. They pretend to have a desire to see the glory of Christ in heaven, but they have no view of it by faith here on earth. Those who would do such are living a self-deceived imagination. See, it begins with a desire. Faith begins with us saying, Lord, I want to know you. I want to know more of who you are. I want to see the greatness of who you are. Not just to have you answer my desires. I want to know you. That's what faith engages. That's what makes it real. And so 
Our faith functions then as a spiritual window through which we see the character, nature, and work of God. Hebrews, we looked at this last week and we're gonna move on from here. It's Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38. It says, but my righteousness, excuse me, my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old receive their commendation. So, what happened with the people of old? What was it that God says, here's what you've done that I celebrate, that I'm proud of? Well, the next verses throughout Hebrews chapter 11 in what's called the great hall of faith or heroes of the faith gives us little snapshots into their lives, but there's some things that they all have in common. First of all, faith trusts in God's promises. This is what we see revealed in the life of Abraham down in verses um, 8 through 10 of chapter 11. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He obeyed what God commanded him, but his sights were set on something bigger than the promised land. It was never about the land. It was about the relationship with God. And ultimately, what he was focused on, what God celebrates about him, is that he trusted that ultimately the desire of his heart was he was going to be with God. He was going to dwell in a city, not just a city on earth, but a city whose designer and builder is God himself, to be in his very presence. He trusted God. He trusted his promises. Because God said, I am going to make you a mighty nation. I'm going to give you a land. He believed what God said, and he obeyed. That's faith. Moses does the same thing. Down in verses 24 through 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think about that. He had a position, a prestige in the royal court of Egypt. He had every opportunity before him that royalty, wealth, power could provide. But he said, that's not who I am. And that's not what I'm going to live for choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin, he considered the reproach of Christ of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking forward to the reward. How many times during um, his exile, when he was, had gone from being a prince in the court of Egypt to being a shepherd in the wilderness Did he think about not only what he gave up, but more importantly, who his true reward was? 
The reason God appeared to him in the burning bush was because his heart was set on knowing God and obeying him. He made mistakes, he disobeyed, he took things into his own hands just like the rest of us, but the core of who he was desired to know God to the point when he sees the burning bush, he asks God, says, God, show me your glory. I wanna know you. That's what causes our faith to come alive. Moses knew God's promises And he looked at the one who is unseen and chose his reward rather than the promises of power, of wealth, and position. And that's our second point. Faith looks for what is unseen and remembers God's power. God is all-powerful. Verse 27 says, By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, here's encouragement. Maybe you're facing incredible opposition, opposition that from a human standpoint is insurmountable. Moses had lost all of his his pull, all of his influence. He was a wanted man, and he's going back to the very place that wanted him, that had a sentence over him. But he doesn't go back in fear to appear before the king because his confidence is not in earthly power or in political um, um, situations or in governments. His faith is in God himself who rewards one who trusts in his promises. Focus of Moses' faith was not on what could be seen with his eyes because from a visual standpoint, life looked pretty grim for Moses. He was a fugitive. His people were slaves in the most powerful kingdom on earth and God was telling him that he himself was gonna be the deliverer. If Moses sets his sights on the invisible God rather than on the mirror of self and circumstance, because he was able to do that, God used his faith to give him courage to boldly obey. We need to remember God's power. Thirdly, faith abides in God's presence, God's power, and God's presence. The heroes of faith listed in Hebrews 11 had these three things in common that permeate all of their lives. They trusted in God's promises, that they were absolutely true. They remembered God's power, that he was greater than the challenges that they faced and the world that they lived in, And they rested in God's presence. They chose to abide in Christ for their obedience, their strength, and their joy. That's what faith needs. We need God's promises, God's power, and we need his presence within us. Because ultimately, faith is built upon our view of God. We must have faith in someone And the degree of that faith is based upon our understanding of who they are and of their character. So the reference point of faith, the way to grow your faith, to grow my faith, is to get to know the character and nature of God more. Now, I want to put a a picture up on the screens, and um, the picture of the bunch of lines. There we go, yeah. Optical illusion time. Here's the question. As you look at that with your eyes, are the gray lines straight or do they, are they parallel? Do they curve? 
Do they move at an angle? What do you see? They, they what? They appear to curve. Here's, here's the question. How can you know whether they're straight or not? You have to measure it, right? You have to take something that you are confident is straight, like a ruler or a piece of wood, some, some, some device that you believe to be straight. Again, you're putting faith in what straight is, but you're then measuring it and comparing it. You see, if we only go by what we can see, our eyes can easily be deceived. Think about all the things that you hear, um, in, especially on social media right now, about fake news. Now there's stories about fake news that's fake news about fake news. So you really don't even know what's real and what's right. You have to have something external to measure it by so you look at the facts. The same's true with our faith. In order for us to discern what is real, what is true, we have to have some reference point. And in case you're really wondering, you can use the, the picture of this in your um, worship guide, and you can measure it when you get home, and you'll discover that the lines are perfectly straight. They only appear to curve, as, as Keith said. They're actually perfectly straight. But we need an external reference to be able to discern. So for us, to know what is real, we need to know what is true. And truth is not principles, although they can be revealed as such. Truth ultimately is a person, Jesus Christ. So the way to know what is real, what is true, is to get to know the person of truth, to get to know his character, to get to trust his word, because that is the reference point for one from which everything else in our life must be measured. God is the constant. He is the reference point. And the more accurate our view of God, the more accurate our view will be of ourselves, of others, of the world, of our circumstances, and of life when he is our reference point. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is truth. And we cannot rightly measure any truth without looking at the reference point of God himself. Now, here's how this looks practically. I want you to think of someone that you admire and trust. Someone in your life, maybe it's, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a, a teacher, maybe um, a coach or a friend. What is it about them that makes you trust them? It's because you have spent time with them, you've seen them through trials and through difficulties, you've seen their character be revealed in ways that are consistent. And because it's consistent and because it has been good towards you, you have a measure of trust that you place upon that person. The same thing works in our relationship with God but we will only trust him to the degree that we know him. That's why his word is so incredibly important. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen, and the way that we get the evidence is through his word and obeying it. Because ultimately, in practice, faith is seeing all of life from God's perspective and living accordingly. 
So therefore, we have to have an external reference, which is God's character. So we need to look at things and say, how does this line up with what we know about God? as he has revealed himself in his word. Not my opinion about God, because oftentimes I'm wrong. I don't know about you, but I've discovered that occasionally, um, and sometimes my wife reminds me that it's more than occasionally, I'm wrong. Not very often, right? Okay. Yeah, thank you, thank you. So, so, so we have to have that reference point, and then we have to choose the right focus. I'm going to give you another, another little illustration here. There's another picture we're going to put up, and isn't that lovely, isn't that beautiful? Now, my question is this, what is that a picture of? Is that a picture of a person's face in a mask? How many of you would say that's what it is? You think so? Okay. What if I told you, you have it in your, your worship guide if you want to look at it closer. What if I told you it's actually a picture kind of in a mirror of two people kissing? Yeah, yeah, woo, yes it is, isn't it? Yeah, some of you are going, no, it's not. It's a face and a mask. But no, it's a mirror with two people kissing. But you see, until you change and shift your focus, you can't see that. What comes to you, I love this, (laughs) it's great, it's great. You've got to change what you're focused on. The same's true in our life. If I only focus in on what I see in the media or what I think with my own thoughts, what I'm feeling with my emotions, my focus isn't in the right place. I'm not going to have an accurate view. Let me show you the next picture. This one's um, been around a lot longer. Over here on on this side, on the left-hand side for you, how many of you see a guy playing an instrument with a note or a piece of smoke coming up out of it? How many of you see that's what you see? Yeah, cool, yay. How many of you say, no, it's a face? Uh, Yeah, there you go, it's a face. Now, here's here's the interesting thing. The face isn't really there. Do you realize that? It's a void, But your mind projects in that void and says, oh, it's a face. But it's just empty space. The same thing happens to us in our daily life. We project things based upon our experiences, based upon our emotions, based upon our fear that fills in a void. And God says, you got to place your focus on me on what is real. The same way over here, some of you will see a face on the right-hand side, right? How many of you see liar? Yeah, right? Which one is it? Yeah, it says liar, doesn't it? What's really there is, well, (laughs) is white on black, the word liar. You see, what we see with our eyes can be untrue. That's why we have to have the right measurement and examine God in his word. Faith requires the right focus. Our hearts must be set on God and what we can see and discern of him through his word and through his son. Because faith traces the outlines of events in our lives and sees the hand of God at work. Faith ultimately is the eyesight of the spirit It has the unique power under God to receive from him spiritual truth. 
Belief is gifted with the ability to perceive who God is and what he is doing in the world. And just like our physical eye, faith does not create reality. It's not just saying, this exists because I believe it's so, but instead, it receives information from the true nature of things from God himself and reveals to us what is going on. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 32 to 35 gives us a list of of other people in this heroes of faith, people who believed God even though what they saw with their physical eyes was grim, was difficult, was, in fact, insurmountable. It says this, What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and women received back their dead by resurrection. Those last two sentences point specifically to the prophet Elisha. Because that is what God did through his faith. He, through faith, that God was bigger than the enemy, than the obstacle, God was bigger even than death, was able to see miraculous things happen because his eyes of faith were upon God. Through faith, he was able to bring back a woman's son to life. And through faith in God who is unseen, he was able to see and to show his servant the army of those who were with him when with his eyes all he saw were the armies armies of the Arameans or the Syrians. Aramea is modern-day Syria. So let's look again here to close us up. Let's go back to the passage that we began with in 2 Kings. And I'm reading from a slightly different version, but it's the same story. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place. For the Syrians are going down there, and the king of Israel sent to, the, um, sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the spy in our midst? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. I want you to to stop there for just a moment. Do you realize God can give you information? He can give you truth that is needed in the midst of the, the darkest of circumstances. Too often, what happens is we will try everything within our human power and resources, and then when all of that doesn't work, we pray. 
But if we have eyes of faith, we will begin with praying to the God who already knows all of the details. He already sees all of the circumstance and has all of the information. And he is able to provide deliverance and direction to our lives. That's what Elisha is illustrating right here. None, my Lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots and a great army. And they came by night and surrounded the city. Maybe that's how you feel right now. Maybe you feel surrounded by opposition, by struggle. God is bigger than the opposition you face. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha said, do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In the New Testament, we have this understanding repeated over and over again. Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? But do we, re, do we live with that reality in our heart? Or are our lives far more often controlled by fear? You see, eyes of faith understand that God is in control. And even if the circumstances are grim and difficult and the trial continues, he is greater than our weakness, than our fear, than our opposition. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, this is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. God can not only reveal to us things that we couldn't know, He can also blind others so that they accomplish his purpose and his will. But I want you to listen how the story ends because I think it's incredibly beautiful because it reveals the heart of God in a way we don't expect. God's intent is not just victory, but blessing and redemption. The story does not end in a battle but with a feast. Verse 21. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, my father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? I mean, here he has the whole army of the Syrians right in front of him, and they're vulnerable. So he wants to press the advantage. That's what the king wants. 
But he answers, he says, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. This is the enemies. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master and the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. God turned it into blessing. He can do that with our trials and difficulties as well, even with those who are in opposition against us. When our faith is in him, in the God who delivers. And for us to grow our faith, we must learn to trust God's promises. We must remember and rely on God's power, not our own, and abide in God's presence to live like he is with us right here and right now. That's what he calls us to. Faith is more than intellectual agreement. It is a sight unseen. And it is, it is something that then commands who we are. A.W. Tozer said, a belief that does not command the one who holds it is not real belief. It's more than just saying, yes, I believe. It must become who we are. Secondly, faith, if it is real, must produce a love in action. That's ultimately the end of the story with Elisha. It wasn't just about his servant seeing the spiritual realm. It was about showing grace to those who were in opposition against God and his people. That's why James says, so also faith by itself that if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. It requires an action of love. And finally, faith must be evidenced by obedience. Hebrews eleven eight by faith, Abraham obeyed. And that's ultimately what we're called to do. The only way that we truly express our faith is by obeying God's commands and trusting his promises. What he tells us to do, we must do. Now the way that our faith grows, as I've said, the way that we trust God's promises, the way that we rely on his power and the way that we rest in his presence all comes from his word. And so, the tool that I want to give, make available to you today is uh, we put together um, a scriptural exploration guide, and it's on our website now, and I have some copies here, and there's some copies at the center table out in the foyer. And what this has is it goes through an overview of scripture to give you the whole story or a large part of the story of God. It is his story revealed in the scripture. And it goes through 140 different passages of scripture over the course of several months, and you can take it at whatever pace you want, but it will give you a good understanding of God's word. I've tried to put it in in sections where it's not too much to do at a particular setting, and and there's some tools in here to help you understand God's word, but I wanna challenge you, if you really wanna live by faith, If you really want to know what this relationship with God is all about, you have to immerse yourself in his word 
on a regular and consistent basis. So these are going to be up here for any of you who want them. If we run out, I'll print all of them you want, okay? And here's what I want to challenge you to do. I'd love for us to do this as a church together. And I'd love for you, as you read things and discover things, send an email. We'll put it, uh, we'll start a blog in our, in our newsletter um, of the discoveries that we make in God's word. And I've tried to lay this out because it is the story of Jesus. You'll discover that it actually begins in the New Testament and then goes to creation because it's about the person of creation. And I tried to trace that theme through these passages of scripture. But I want to challenge you This is what will strengthen your faith more than anything else, more than any sermon I could come up with or object lesson or illustration. None of those things are worth anything compared to the power of God's word in your life. Would you make a commitment? Say, Lord, I want to live by faith. I want to live by the things that are unseen rather than continually being in fear and failure and weakness because I'm living by sight. The prayer that we need to pray. It's the same prayer that Elisha prayed. Lord, would you open up our eyes to allow us to see you. Lord, that is my prayer. That you would speak to our hearts and our minds and we would go from this place knowing in our minds, believing in our hearts, and desiring with all that we are to discover more of who you are. Build our faith, Lord. Lord, make us like the people of old so that you may be glorified, that you may be lifted up, so that the peoples of Prague and of our home nations and the internationals that gather here, they may see the greatness of of the God of Scripture, the greatness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Oh, Lord, change us. Open up our eyes to see who you really are. In Jesus' name.